there's a dirty little secret of most wearable tech and the dirty little secret is it's not actually wearable it's strappable it's mountable it's not actually something that you wear in any traditional meaning of that word one startup next house is trying to change that imagine smart thread woven right into all of your clothing no straps no attachments just clothing and data to chat more and learn more I'm talking to the ceo and founder george sun george welcome hi nice to meet you john hey it is great to have you here thank you for taking the time you've said if it can be sewn it can be smart tell me about that yeah this actually really boils down to the fundamental principles of how you make a circuit how you make anything connected how you make anything communicate data from one end to the next and that's with just basically connecting from point A to point B. Uh, today we do that with circuit boards. If you open up your phone or any kind of electronics, you see all these highways of electronics kind of touching each other. And what we're trying to do is take that principle of getting things communicating with one another, but doing that in clothing. So like you have a phone that can do Wi-Fi acceleration, it can you know, connect to the GPS. We wanna do that same principle through threads alone. And so when we say, hey, it could be sewn, it could be smart, we're literally trying to sew the same kind of highway of data streams that you can normally find in a, a computer chip, but do that in clothing. And we found, and we have patented, you know, both the materials, both the manufacturing method and the devices that actually make these sensors. Well, it's really interesting because if you look at traditional circuit boards from sheesh, I don't know, 20 years ago, you can see the circuits, right? People could even edit them with, you know, with a soldering iron or something yep. like that. That's no longer anywhere near the case, right? I mean, everything is microscopic, nanoscopic, if that's even a word. Uh, so I'm assuming what you're doing is actually probably pretty visible because we can see threads, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is where... It could be a good or a bad thing to make an analogy or comparison to the semiconductor world. But, you know, when Moore's law really kicked off formally in the 60s, when we built transistors, like transistors were the size of your everyday computer. But right now, like with Moore's law, we have trillions of them in the size of a fingertip. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. The threads that we're sewing, they're not even on the micron scale. They're about, you know, they're threads. You can see them. But we're just at that cusp of Moore's law. And at Nextile, one of our thesis is to really reinvigorate the innovation in sewing technology because that has really lagged behind as a platform itself, right? We've only been using you know, clothing just for clothing's sake, but we, we do see that entire real estate on the body to be you know, advanced. But the, the reason why that comparison may not be good is that these highways that we're making with these threads on the clothing is actually aesthetically pleasing. We, we always joke around in the company that it looks like Iron Man. Like right now you can see all the signals kind of like veins kind of powering that suit. So if you do want it, we can actually do customize uh, garments that do have these highways exposed, but they're actually quite unique uh, methodologies where we do cover it, we do hide it. So, you know, it doesn't look too Frankenstein if that's what people are thinking about. Yeah, how medieval, hey, clothing that just, you know, protects you from cold or damp or <laughs> something like that, absolutely. So talk about what kind of sensors you've been able to sew into clothing or to create in within clothing. Yeah, absolutely. Our We call this a beachhead. The first, I would say, sensor technology beachhead with the threads we're using, with the fabric that we're using, uh, we call them mechanical sensors. 
And it's because these threads really lend themselves to, you know, mechanical deformation. You know, right now, if you twist a circuit board, you're probably going to snap it. But when, when we sew these things into your fabric, we really want to leverage how flexible they are so that when you stretch the fabric, when you bend the fabric, when you apply pressure on the fabric, uh, we can actually sense electrical changes. So, you know, not to go too much in the deep end on physics, hopefully it doesn't give anyone PTSD in their high school days. But, you know, when you power a device, you're putting in some voltage, you're putting a little bit of current. But because you're going to stretch the fabric, because you're going to bend it or twist it in a way that's not, you know, away from its normal state, uh, that signal changes, it deforms, it either increases or decreases. And that's what we capture. So we're really not capturing like, hey, you know, five or 24 or 36 but we're, we're capturing percentages right how much did your fabric change and we map that back to oh yeah it changed because you bent your arm 45 degrees it changed because your torso pivoted by four radians i don't know you know whatever kind of numbers you can make up but that's what we're mapping and and we do have our sights on you know other types of sensing modalities but maybe we can touch on that you know later in the talk that is really, really interesting. I mean, because you've basically got analog flowing into digital and digital flowing into analog in some really real sense. You've got an analog thing that's in my knee or my elbow or my wrist, whatever it might be, that is measuring change and you're getting digital measurements out of that that are very precise, right? I mean, some percentage and, and you could probably go to multiple decimal places on mm -hmm. that. How does that data get out where does it go do you have some central processor i mean i've talked to people in the iot world and they've been able to design a bluetooth chip that lives on like a sticker and i'm yep. talking super thin is that what you're doing are you connecting to a smartphone yeah that's exactly it i i would say the biggest bottleneck that we're facing is actually the electronics themselves so we have you know you can imagine this highway of threads they're going up and down you know beneath between different layers of fabric but they all terminate in an area that we consolidate. So we have all these threads, we consolidate them to maybe an area of the body that's you know not usually encountered. And then we actually do stick that sticker, you would say. We, we actually do incorporate a small battery, a small Bluetooth device. We're leveraging Bluetooth 5, so battery life is about you know 24 hours or more. And with that Bluetooth device, we do connect with apps. That does dive deeper into our business model of how we want to relay that data. We make our own apps, we make SDKs, we make APIs, but that transformation is really trying to collect all those threads in an area that you don't really normally see because right now mm -hmm. you did talk about strappables right all that technology is localized on that wrist right but for us we have the you know freedom the liberty to kind of move that module wherever we want so we can actually put a sensor on the wrist but then have that battery and bluetooth maybe you know on on the base of the arm or on the back yeah. of the neck or some, yeah. somewhere far off but to extra confirm what you just said. Yes, we do use Bluetooth. We do use apps. And that's how the data is coming to the consumer. Right. Super interesting. Uh, I interviewed Williot, which makes Bluetooth basically in prints Bluetooth chips. And one of them actually harvests ambient radio frequency energy. Doesn't have a battery doesn't live on a battery. I can imagine something like that is in your future, or maybe even something that is just harvesting ambient energy from heat, even from the body or movement. I'm sure you've looked at that stuff as well. <laughs> Where's this being used? Yeah, I, I would say uh, maybe to, to touch on your your previous comment on the energy harvesting and, and not to show all of my cards, but we are, <laughs> we are looking into, you know, you know, piezoelectric materials. And actually, the, that's the materials that we make at Nextiles are these, you know, piezoelectric, piezo-resistant materials. And, you know, what that is, is uh, I don't know where 
people n would normally see it, but I think it's intuitive that every time you crunch your, your leg or you do a step, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're going to make a, a little bolt of electricity and that, that can get stored. And yep. so that's in our horizon that the more you move your body, the more you can collect that ambient, you know, movement energy, the kinetics back to, you know, powering that battery. But to answer that, that the main question of where this is used, it's pretty much used in uh, performance sports. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm putting that adjective there is because we're really targeting athletes at the kind of the, the higher level, the ones who actually do want to see the data, the ones who actually can discern and you know, understand the data. And the reason why we're doing this is also selfishly for us is because we're creating so much data that we don't even know how to analyze. <laughs> I, I don't I don't mean to you know degrade myself, but I'm no professional baseball player, right? I'm no professional football player. So even though I'm the one getting the data, I should not be the one to tell you, yeah, that's the best way to throw a 99 you know, mile per hour ball. Like I should not yes. be giving that feedback to you. Yes. So we've been working with people from you know, the MLB, we've been working with people from the, you know, the NFL that you know, working with these athletes, they're educating us to understand you know, what do you want from the data and we can go back, mine that data, or even augment our sensors to actually better capture those data. And so, so again, to loop this around to answer your question, we've been working, you know, hip to hip with professional athletes. I love that. I love that a lot. Now, I'm I'm Canadian from Vancouver, Canada, so I'm a hockey player. So <laughs> play a lot of hockey, uh, taken a lot of hits, uh, broken a lot of bones, got some cuts and stuff like that. But can you imagine knowing as a medical professional, here's exactly how far that limb was torqued out of normal or something like that. That'd be super interesting. You know, in real time, perhaps to know, hey, it's dangerous for that athlete to continue or maybe you know, should pull from the game or even a baseball player. You know, it's hard to tell sometimes like a swing that's working or not working. Well, you know, your, your average is down a little bit over the last 10 days. We've been able to identify that your angle is just down by about two degrees. You know, I mean, yeah. something that you would never see visually, maybe an AI looking at the data could or something like that. But that is super interesting. Yeah. And, and my comment on that is that it's also trying to be humble about the data that we're getting is that we aren't looking for that silver bullet solution as in like, yeah, that number is the perfect indicator for injury prevention. Mm -hmm. For us, we're more on the law of averages of if you can study over time, if you can wear the device over time, you know, what is that trend in your kind of performance portfolio? Because it may happen that today, you know, you're healthy, but you know, the next two weeks, two months, two years, we see some degradation. And so to get that kind of precision and, and this pattern matching, because again, we're, we're really not telling you like, oh, aim for this number. That's the golden number. We're kind of telling you, okay, this is the profile that you want to aim for, right? You, you, you don't want to overcommit on squats or push-ups or throws and so on. And so you're, I, I'm just agreeing to what you said that if we could, you know, capture this data over time with enough athletes and, you know, that's the thing that we're doing right now, finding that two degree angle difference and correlating that to, you know, an eventual injury or likelihood injury, that's something we really want to pursue. Wow. Wow. I can imagine future trades. We want to see the data on <laughs> over the past five years on power and speed. Is, is, is this athlete aging or aging well? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. And maybe to add in on that too, I know before I was trying to explain, you know, the types of sensors we're making, these mechanical sensors, things like forces, pressure, you know, torque that actually does segue really nicely to what you just alluded to. It does lend itself easily to these higher order 
know, calculations, things like you know, angular velocity, things like strain, things like stress, mm -hmm. and even things like fatigue, right? The more force you add, you know, I'm assuming that force is expending some calories and you'll get tired after a while. And I can try to predict a future question of why this is different is that, you know, trying to use accelerometers, that's, that's a little bit indirect, right? Yeah. Move, movement can come from anything. You can be on a bike and it's moving. You can be, you know, spinning around and that's moving. But to really measure forces, forces that come from the body, and that's really, really different. And that's what we're trying to, to garner and, and collect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, forces are definitely more intuitive to understand than, you know, telling someone you're moving at, 20 meters per second squared, right? So who knows? <laughs> wow, that's quite some acceleration there. That, uh, yeah. I do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of price are we looking at here? I mean, one of the good things about, let's say, strappables, and I'll hold up my Apple Watch here, is that I, I buy one of them. And I wear it with every outfit that sucks. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if I have sensors in my clothing, then I need them to be in all my clothing items. Now, maybe you're getting around that by being in like uh, an Under Armour type of thing or, or something like that. But what's the long term vision there? Yeah. So right now we are aiming for that, that Under Armour kind of uh, platform where it's a either compression garment or a garment you can wear underneath and still have the freedom to wear the clothing you would like. So we do this for the athletes so that they don't have to change their jerseys. It's actually not recognizable. They don't have to combat their, you know, the branding per se. So I don't think that's a huge issue. We are machine washable. So if you do want to, you know, wear it for one game and then wash it and then wear it for the next one, totally available. But the price point right now, since we are pre-launched, it's actually launching right now with these athletes, but not to the consumer base, I can tell you right now, it's not as expensive as an Apple watch, but it probably is a little bit more expensive than your, your, I guess your gap or your Uniqlo t-shirt, you know, it's, mm -hmm. so it's kind of in that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I do see in the next year, year and a half that this can be a consumer product where someone says, Hey, I can either buy a regular shirt or a next shirt. And that price point won't won't shock them, but right now we're we're kind of trying to really focus on the athletic space of, yes, it's a rash guard or yes, or it's a compression shirt. Go wear it with your other uniform, and then you know go from there. So mm -hmm. I don't mean to dance around that bush, but it is definitely is affordable for the athletes we're working with. Uh, for the consumer, you may have to wait, you know, until 2022, which is coming up soon, or in the next coming year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to ask as well, I mean, obviously you're into wearable tech. Uh, what wearable tech do you personally use? Yeah, it's uh, I actually use an, an Apple Watch. They're not paying me to say that, but <laughs> I've used it in the beginning. And this is just a personal story. There's I have you know no agenda for what I'm saying right now. I've tried using you know the, the pedometer, the exercise routine, the calorie counts, but it eventually became somewhat of a kind of a, a nuisance. I know some people create a habit around it, but I think for me, for it to remind me that I need to walk 10 more steps or I need to stand up for two more hours, just given my routine, it was, it was quite difficult to do. So it was a little bit too involved. So I just use it as like a kind of a email sniffer or, or just checking the time. Mm -hmm. I think ideally for me would be like, if I were to have a wearable and let's say a Nextile is wearable, it would be for a very surgical application, right? It'll be because I want to train for a marathon, and that's why I want to buy XYZ garment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not to alienate anyone, but I think right now it's very difficult to make uh, a lifestyle wearable because everyone has different lifestyles. Right? I did hundreds of interviews with consumers, and some people want it for when they're sleeping. Some people want to wear it when they're walking, or some people want to do it when they're walking their dog. 
but you know for us we're trying to be very diligent because you know the data matters right the, mm-hmm. the data really matters and i think to do that you have to fold in this this precision of what are you trying to look for for what activity is it a marathon is it a pitch is it a quarterback throw is it a tackle and then from there kind of be diligent of keeping track of it so I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind it of what does. I would say. And it is interesting because a lot of people use wearables as like a general activity measurement thing, as a general health aid. And that's how I use it, right? Am I getting enough exercise? Am I moving enough? Yeah, I'll get up every 50 minutes or so and mm-hmm. run a little bit around my office <laughs> here. So I have my stand hour in, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of <laughs> but if you're going to work on pure performance, then that's not that's too general. That's too vague. It's not specific. Now I totally see what you're getting on there. Let's look out then. Here's the crystal ball. And and you look at Nextiles uh, three, four years down the path, maybe five years down the path. What do you see? What's available? What's possible? Yeah, I. that's a really good question. And I think with the support of my team and, and talking with my team, both on a business, philosophical and technological level, I think we're, we're really seeing ourselves as this kind of this back-end infrastructure company where we support, you know, technology innovation in existing or, or new platforms. And I, I hate to sound cliche or even use, you know, another company, but the concept of, you know, Nextiles inside or powered mm-hmm. by Nextiles, mm-hmm. you know, much like Intel inside, you know, you have this universal chip company powering most of our devices. But for a consumer, it's it's not that key focal point. They're still buying an Apple computer. They're still buying a HP Dell computer. But really, the core of it is that chip you're buying. And we want to be that chip. Not a chip per se. It's fabric. But hopefully that, that made I sense. I get the point. <laughs> um, so, you know, the next, even in the next coming year, we will love partnerships. We will love to open our doors to, you know, to, to manufacturers, uh, to OEMs, to those who want to kind of, pivot their product into the wearable space because not only can we make garments for you know the under armors out there for the nikes out there we can also do this for things like carpentry we can also do this for vehicles if you want to put technology into the car seat uh so i I think it's there's a huge spectrum that we want to tackle but obviously uh, i think you kind of get this now that we tried boiling the ocean that, that didn't work. And so we're being really precise by working with these athletes, working with these institutions. Nice, nice, nice. I think we have to update Intel inside to like ARM inside or something yes. like that, given, yeah. given uh, that ARM <laughs> processors have conquered everything. Um, but maybe it's Nextiles underneath. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, actually, tr- trademark, but yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, who do you see as a major competitor in the space of smart clothing, smart threads? Yeah, I think without calling them out by name, because I think right now when it comes to smart fabrics, we're all in the startup world. I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's like a an Apple analogy in, in the smart fabrics world. So I think we're all very kind of at the starting line trying to race each other. But most of the companies that I've seen who are competitors to us, and, and I, I, I hopefully that competition is cordial, are companies who, who do conductive inks. So that's a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? Conductive inks are, you can kind of imagine like screen printing, right? When yep. you put a logo on your t-shirt, kind of like this, you, you screen print it on. But you can imagine these logos being, you know, conductive copper, silver, you know, whatever. We don't 
primarily do that. There's a few reasons why we don't use conductive inks. It's a huge chemical process on its own. Like that, that mm -hmm. entails, mm -hmm. you know, laboratory scale to liquefy metal and, and to have it be heat pressable and, you know, to make sure it doesn't leak or diffuse to, to the manufacturer. And more so, I, I think just sewing is just a more mature technology. Mm -hmm. uh, as of now, yeah, you can call me out and say, yeah, George, can you make 10 million of these? Yeah, I can't. But if if you were to tell me, can you make 10 million shirts using sewing? I can say, yes, we do this, we do this every day. You know, sewing, my mom knows how to sew. People in the US, from US to China to Mexico, they know how to sew. If you told them to hold a you know a liquid vat of metal and tell them to screen print something, I, I think that that takes another learning curve. So we're really trying to leverage you know mature technology. I think the story behind it makes us very happy because we do want to reinvigorate this industry, which actually originated in the U.S. Right? That's why I'm in New York, the garment district, the the, the textile district. So our competitors are those who like to use exotic chemistries. And I think our competitors as well, another competitor bucket are those who like to further miniaturize their sensors. So they're still using, you know, the accelerometers, they're still using, you know, the, the, the small Bluetooth chips that you're talking about. They're not in the form factor of, of fabric, but they're so small that, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're encompassing around the body. And, you know, we'll see how far that technology goes. Uh, yeah, I think we hinted at Moore's law. I mean, it can't go on forever, but, you know, we'll see. Interesting. Maybe one personal question to end off. How did you end up in this space? Uh, why are you interested in wearable technology and how did you become, uh, why did you become a founder of a wearable tech company? Yeah, hopefully I, I don't give you a novella of my life. I Stop me if I'm rambling. I totally uh, will. <laughs> You've got like 90 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, when I was studying, I was highly academic. I was highly theoretical when I studied from my bachelor's to my PhD. You know, most of my work was in chemistry, material science, electronics. I, I dealt with books. I didn't deal with people. But it wasn't until I did, you know, these competitions. There, you know, there were hackathons to pitch events to finally being recognized with a few publications that I had a, a work experience at Puma. And, and that was very eye-opening for, for me to see the theory that I was cultivating for the past, you know, 10 years of my life being accelerated to a six to 10 month project, right? You know, mm -hmm. take all that knowledge you have in your brain and try to make a product out of it. And I, I think doing that was very exciting. It, it showed me, it, it proved to me that products can be made with new tech. And, and even more so, I think my ambitions for the wearable technology was actually history, was to see how history kind of didn't go the, to me personally, didn't go the right way of, you know, we made these semiconductors, which were huge, Let's make them really, really small, and then let's put them on our body, which to me historically just feels really weird, right? It should be, we make clothing, we like clothing, it feels really, really nice, let's make the clothing smart. So I, I kind of wanted to flip the industry upside down, and uh, maybe it was a combination of arrogance and confidence and having a great support group. I work with amazing people that I started this company. Wonderful. Well, no startups would get started if people didn't have, uh, if we weren't blind to certain things and arrogant about some things and hoping against hope that we can be successful. So congratulations <laughs> on that. And thank, thank you for taking this time. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much for the time as well.